That was fabulous. Yeah. See, you've even got me doing it. <laughs> Sorry, Don. Sorry, since you've been on the air, the ratings have gone up two points. Now everybody wants the queer perspective. Channel 9 has even hired a tranny weather a person. From Slightly Unbalanced, we are still queer as folk. I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Today, we are talking about episode six of season five, and it's called Bored Out of Your Fucking Mind. <laughs> BFM. <laughs> uh, it first aired in the U.S. on June 19, 2005. It was written by Del Shores, his seventh of eight teleplays. He also produced 41 episodes, or about half of the series. Bored Out of Your Fucking Mind. I love saying this. Uh, was directed by Alex Chappell. He directed eight episodes, and this is his last one. Alex Chappell is probably the most accomplished director post-Queer as Folk, working on shows like The Americans, uh, Every Flavor of Law and Order, Stargate Universe, Chicago Fire, Blue Bloods, Elementary, and Chicago PD, just to name a few. You've probably seen Alex Chappell around. Who knows? We have. Uh, here's the synopsis of Bored Out of Your Fucking Mind. <laughs> A newcomer on the scene appears and challenges Brian's dominance of Liberty Avenue by rejecting him. Oh, I got so many things to say about it. It's great. Uh, Justin continues to yearn for a relationship with Brian that is more like Ben and Michael's. Aww. Hunter's mostly unseen struggle with his classmates, knowing that he's HIV positive and a retired hooker comes to a head. He runs away from home. Emmett goes a bit too far as queer guy and scandalously shows off underwear on live television. Hmm. Debbie realizes that she's bored and returns to work at the diner with Carl's blessing. And Ted starts a revenge game with the guy that pity fucked him two years ago at pride. <laughs> this episode was uh, full of a lot of stuff. Uh, there was really only one discernible a story and there was one, two, three, four, five runners. <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> there was also um, three cringeworthy moments that we're going to point out as we go. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I think we have the same ones written down. Uh, so a story. Brian has a challenger. When this started out in Babylon and Emmett says, oh, my God, who's that? I thought for sure it was going to be another like, oh, look, it's Michael. Like we've Dr. seen David so many Cameron times. Dr. Cameron is back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a new character named Brandon. He's played by Ryan Scott Green, not to be confused with Brian Austin Green. Totally different character. I just wow. found their cadence of their name funny. Yes. <laughs> so this guy uh, promptly rejects Brian in the back room of Babylon. There was something about the way that this was staged that made Brian look really all old and used up and Brandon looked fresh and the hotter of the two. I loved it. I like seeing Brian being put on the back foot finally, because he's always written as this ridiculous, like Uber gay to rule them all. And I like seeing somebody look at him and go, Ugh. every single time he was rejected, I was like screaming <laughs> <laughs> and laughing. It wasn't even like a laugh. It was a cackle. I was loving every single time he got pushed away from this guy. <laughs> well, like we've talked about in past episode, he's Brian's definitely all right, but he's he's not the gay archetype that he's so often written as. Yes, he thinks he's, he thinks he's some sort of Adonis and right. like this godlike figure, and I'm like, he's fine. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we do him. He's okay. Right. I don't think he's anything to write home about. I don't know what Michael is all riled up over him about, but okay. <laughs> 
I, I you know that is like a he was since he's known as he's a teenager. They they've shared like sort of a coming out together situation. So yeah, it's always gonna feel like an unrequited love. So you know, it's like when you see someone who is just like you, you immediately like want to latch on to them. So I think that's why Michael's always stuck around. So and and idolized him in some way. Mm. But this Brandon guy, he just keeps showing up everywhere. I like this mysteriousness about him. We don't know who this guy is, what he does, where he's from. He probably he speaks German. Word. Yeah, he doesn't say a word the entire episode. That's right. And He's I just love that hot guy wandering around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, this character had a, a great introduction. The, the one thing that I wasn't real keen on is Brian told Justin that he was rejected by this guy. That hot guy followed into the back room the other night. What about it? When I went for his cock. <laughs> Never mind. Would you just say it? My hand. Your hand? What? <laughs> it's any comfort, you're still the hottest guy in Pittsburgh. I just found that a tad unbelievable because Brian has spent 15 years, five years, sorry, <laughs> being can. <laughs> being invincible and then he just like shares his worst ego bashing event with justin just like out of the blue this did have the benefit of justin's cute little internal runner though it showed brian starting to share more deeply with justin but i don't think that was why this was written in this way i i just can't imagine why brian isn't going to tell justin about having a ball removed but then readily tells him new hot guy in town turned me down it just didn't make sense to me yeah i i I can't quite put my finger on brian's journey now like i felt like we were going through that experience of oh he's he is becoming more vulnerable with justin and we thought like this was Leaning towards like what Justin wants, which is much more emotionally intimate relationship. And now I feel like we're that's getting pushed away uh, just because we want the Brian that wants the old Babylon back and wants to remain king of Liberty Avenue. Wait, you said we want that one back or? (laughs) Well, I I guess I I kind of do. Audience wants. Yeah, I could care less, but. (laughs) Uh, like you said, we were enjoying watching him get rejected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's this uh, funny lunch meeting where Brian is there and Brandon is there. We don't even know that this guy's name is Brandon yet, by the way. Uh, he's just credited as Brandon. I looked forward to a couple episodes. And I want him to become ad man of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and then try to get Brian to move to New York, right? Yes. Uh, I did that I story already. Rats. Once again, Brandon shows up at just some random restaurant that Brian is happens to be having a meeting at. I, I like this X-Files like guy that is just appearing around every corner in Brian's life. Brian is just trying way too hard to get this guy. And that's the that's probably why I like this story so much. <laughs> the X-Files, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. You see him like he's trying like the we're even seeing the like kind of like the old reliable ways that he's gotten men. You know, the 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 back area of Babylon fails. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let me get him in a public bathroom like we saw him do in the very first episode. Nothing. Brandon is so obviously aware of what Ryan is trying to do. And there, all he has to do is give a certain like turn of the head and a glance of really, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then zips up and leaves. Doesn't even get a chance to throw him into a stall. 
you talked about how the the different places that Ryan was getting rejected, and then there's this RG scene that happened. Uh, what sort of a warehouse was this in? Like Brian's riding down on a that forklift, forklift? or a or something. Yeah, like he was up high enough so a guy didn't have to, so a guy could like reach him at dick level, so he could just stand. Which really, I mean, that's convenience. That's like also, I think, really good for posture. Like you're not having to get on your <laughs> knees. You're not having to like lean down. I mean, that's great. Actually, I think that's actually very considerate. But my favorite thing about that moment is that. First of all, that orgy, the orgy almost reminded me of when uh, all the bars were getting shut down. So they were like in the back of like the, the truck, the, yeah, the truck <laughs> in the middle That's of winter. Reminded me of a little bit. It actually reminded me of uh, a Chicago porn company called Big Dick Factory that was around right at the the time that Queer as Folk was coming out, and they did this warehouse scene with the forklift with like guys going up and down on the forklift. So I don't know if that was like copying. Queer as folk, or queer as folk copied the porn, but I've seen mm, that scene before. What a forklift egg moment! Yeah, yeah. forklift sex is cool, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but my favorite moment was when he, you know, he sees trade, and the trade's about to go down on him, and then they turn, and there's Brandon, and he says, <laughs> he says. Uh, a better offer comes along, it goes over, and goes down on Brandon, and Brandon has a real like sort of almost savior like. Pose? I thought it was Silence of the Lambs pose. <laughs> oh, I think which well with the long with the long blonde hair. For some reason, I was minded of Jesus on the cross, <laughs> getting blown. Apparently, <laughs> for some reason, it worked though. It's like yeah. I, I believed it. It's like this guy like wants to go over there, and he does. And then Brandon's like, "Worship me." I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm there." It. Into it. <laughs> it was creepy, but it was. It was like sexual and hot. I liked it. Yeah. I was like, so like Brian, and just so I understand it correctly, because I feel like I might have missed this. It was Brian's orgy, right? Did he schedule this orgy? I don't know. In order to get Brandon to come? Or was this just an orgy that he had been invited to that Brandon so happened to be there? Well, it seems like Brandon just shows up wherever Brian is. So he could have just had it at Babylon. Right. That, okay. So, like this. This is why I'm. This is why I was trying to figure it out because I'm trying to figure out which. Which. What is a more of a of a bold move? Like, oh, you just so happen to be at the same orgy and you steal someone from me, or I hosted this orgy and at my own orgy you stole trade from me. <laughs> I like your version better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for Brandon to be in this show now. Yeah, he's got a, a really nice storyline coming up. So, welcome, Brandon. We'll be back with more Still Queer as Folk. Our B story slash first runner of the night, I guess we can call this the B story. Uh, I called it uh, Justin Loves Brian. So Rage and JT are getting married. Wow, Rage and JT are finally tying the knot. It's about time, wouldn't you say? Did they go to Toronto? No, Massachusetts. It's a planet. Unlike Pennsylvania, it's legal for gays to get married there. Ah, so where do we buy our rocket ship tickets and zoom off? Oh, I wish. <laughs> well, until we can, we'll just live vicariously through our intrepid superheroes. Let's hope that 5,000 readers... Oh, what the hell, make it 10. I agree with you. 
Matt, are you sick of this comic book yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Like, it's not even it's not even subtle in the way that they I, mean, I guess it was never subtle to begin with. But to now say they're getting married. Uh, fine. I don't care. Well, as a storytelling device, it's like, OK, it's like they're getting married so this is really justin's idealized version of the situation manifesting itself in a comic book that he writes with brian's best friend yeah and it's not even yeah and it's not even being told in an interesting way the way it was used earlier in the season where we were seeing like the comic book panels and like a lot of the the way they brought the comic book portions to life which i always thought was really cool and fascinating this one's just like yeah they're getting married oh look at that the characters are married too so yeah (laughs) you you see how they're the same and something that i found interesting is that uh, justin talks about how when he came back from la thought things were going to be different with brian does he have amnesia about getting pounded by movie stars and really loving that he did say that when he was in hollywood fucking around so he does acknowledge that he was doing what they had always discussed which was always being able to go and have what they wanted but always coming back to each other so then he just flips the switch and wants to go straight to marriage with brian whom he knows is not down with that and this is this is one of my main problems with uh, with justin's like sort of turn in this that he's being that he is filled with a sort of angst to have what Michael and Ben have, who I'm sorry, they are just being really, how to describe it, like showy with it. Like it all feels very performative from them to show like, oh, look at this. We're just like the grown up adult gays that everyone should be now. Yeah, they're they're trying really hard. The, I think that's the key is that they're, they are trying hard mm-hmm. to create that image. And it's and it just rings so false. And I, so I understand why Brian is also very frustrated with it. Uh, and now like now it's sort of infiltrated Justin. Well, and everybody is kind of holding it against Brian that that's not his bag. Right. So everybody has wanted to have a go at him for never growing up, being a perpetual club kid, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, so what? That's what he wants to do. That's OK. Yeah. You may not agree with it, but. There's going to be people behind you that will agree with it that will replace you. So next, Michael and Ben have a housewarming party, and I'm pretty sure that their front porch is also Debbie's front porch. (laughs) Not 100% (laughs) sure, though. So let's keep an eye on that one. So anyway, I did like that they're putting those uh, little, what do you call those candles in bags of sand? A luminaria is what it's called. They're, They're setting those up on the porch. I thought that was cute for their housewarming party. This party almost seemed more about Justin and Brian. It, it was kind of like the Justin Brian vehicle in order to get some of these emotions uh, out of Justin and for Brian to see them and be like, hell no. There was one unrelated scene um, that I wanted to note that really didn't have a big part of this episode, but that's when Melanie shows up with baby JR. Hi, hey. come on in. Hey, honey bun. Thanks for inviting me, even though I mean... We're still family, aren't we? Happy new house. <laughs> Thanks. You mind if I show her off? Be my guest. <laughs> Everyone meet my beautiful daughter. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think that, wow, did these characters really forgive and forget easily? Yeah, and and all, all we all the the only reticence we get is Mel going like, "Thank you for inviting me. I'm kind of surprised." Wah. And that's it. Yeah. So you all just like 
<laughs> like went after the most personal of personal attacks to all get what you want. And you're just going to kind of forgive and forget because I guess Debbie told you so. Yeah. Lindsay does that to me. Like uh, tells all my dirty laundry in a court hearing. It's like, girl, you are done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we will not be friends anymore. But no, here you. it's like everybody's all back together again. So that custody battle really should have left some wounds that dragged on for a while. And I would have liked to have seen them manifest themselves, at least in catty dialogue once they're something like yeah. you put you put down the groundwork of a pretty dramatically heavy custody battle that was really like the first half of this entire season. And we're just going to toss it away, which is, you know, again, this is why we we continue to bring this up is that in order for us to accurately offer a critique of the show, this comes up the way the show very casually releases what should have been complicated storylines and just kind of lets them be. Yeah. This should have, this should have been like a season or like a series ending thing where they all mm-hmm. hate each other. And and that, yeah. <laughs> right. But speaking of all this, did you notice that Lindsay only had one scene in this episode that was with Melanie when they were reminiscing about their own housewarming? That was the all, all that she was in no, this episode. She, she, no, she shows up once more. Oh, did she? Yes, she's with Ted when um, Emmett is at the oh, store. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like, the, but those are the only times. Those are the only times that she shows up. But she had totally different hair. That was the thing. Oh, did her she? Her hair was like super straight in the in the uh, store, but at the party, she had very curly, almost like permed hair. I thought there was good dramatic timing. Here you are. You like it? Reminds me of this Norman Rockwell I saw in the doctor's office when I was a kid. Little girl and boy dressed as bride and groom and their adorable puppy tugging on the bridal gown. Just then the nurse came in and stabbed me in the finger for blood. And you've had an aversion to marriage ever since. Well, I happen to think it's a damn good story. Just because it doesn't agree with your anti-family values, there's no reason to dump on it. Okay. Brian's feeling vulnerable because Brandon keeps rejecting him. Michael is still on his family values tour. Uh, Hunter is still brooding on the stairs and Justin is pretty much on the same path that he's been on for five years. But I I thought it had good pacing to have that many characters in one room at the same time and to move the lines around to all of them and get good coverage of all the characters. I I thought was a good accomplishment for this show. I'm glad you point this out because I I just had this thought of something that I wish could have happened with this episode. You do have all these characters that are coming over for this housewarming party. What an opportunity to just lock it in and make it about just that dinner party and everything that comes out. Because imagine at this housewarming party that's supposed to be about the journey that Michael and Ben are on with Hunter and JR, and then everything starts to spill out and come to light and think about what could have happened between Michael and Ben and Hunter and what could have happened between Justin and Brian and what could have happened between Mel and Lindsay, like coming together again after what they've just experienced. You wanted the Royal Rumble? Yes. (laughs) That would have been cool. I wanted August Osage County to happen in that house. (laughs) That's what I would have wanted. That's interesting because it, it seems like a lot of the conflict in the show is very well insulated to the participants. It's a little bit unusual for other characters to get drawn into other people's problems. 
So that that would have been cool to have that battle royale at the housewarming party. I would have liked that. I mean, and that and yeah, and that's my favorite kind of drama. But then it also has to be supported by very excellent dialogue and writing. Sure. But <laughs> I, I don't know if <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> show had, I don't know if this show at this point when it's like nearing its end if it was quite up to the task. But you know that I would have loved to have seen something like that. I do have one rant about the storyline though. So. This took place uh, between Michael and Justin in the comic shop. And Michael is counseling Justin about Brian. And here's where my rant starts. This needs to stop. I am so fucking sick of those two having the same conversation about Brian over and over and over and fucking over again. Everybody loves that JT finally got his man. Yeah. Everyone but you know who. Yeah, I do know who. Well, what'd you expect? What did I expect? That life might imitate art? I've heard it's been known to happen. Oh, how could I have been suckered into my own fantasy? Talk about pathetic. Every other episode involves them fighting with each other when they have the conversation. This story is so played out. Justin really needs a new shoulder to cry on about Brian because Michael's doesn't have anything new. Uh, it drives me crazy. And while we're at it, why not toss in some flashbacks to like Ethan Gold for Justin? Because those two were pretty awesome for a while, but that character's never mentioned. Ethan Gold was giving, for a while anyway, was giving Justin everything that he wanted in a relationship, but it's never even mentioned or Ethan's name never even comes up. We don't even get a flashback of that nice little smile from Ethan Gold with his little soul patch. Okay, rant over. Excellent work. I was really uh, riled up about You're this. You're like, I'm holding on to something deep inside me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, when I let it out. Michael and Q Justin. <laughs> Michael is always the one giving Justin advice about Brian, and he's the worst one to be doing it. And Justin just keeps going back to him. Stop it. Go to Daphne. Yeah, you've you've introduced Daphne back into the storyline. Let's see her again. We love Daphne. Go find Callie. Callie's Callie's a good girl. Like she's she'll have good advice. She's with it. She's hip. That's right. So wow. anyway, what did what did you think of that advice scene in the comic shop? I, I you not as riled up as me. Need to be said. You, I mean, <laughs> that's why I just let you go. Because you're right. It, it it's like A and B and C. We know what's going to happen. Why is Justin doing this? Why doesn't he go talk to Lindsay? That would have been a much different uh, person to speak to, especially now that we know, I think, a little more about what the Brian-Lindsay relationship was. And Justin has proven himself to be a semi-reliable person that Lindsay has gone to when it comes to taking care of JR and or Gus. So why not go to Lindsay and talk about it? Because you're just going to get the same shit from Michael. He right. This, this also got me thinking that in, in the entire five years, I don't think there's ever been a really compelling Justin and Ted story. I don't think that no. those two characters mm. have really ever overlapped or really had much to do with each other aside from, I think, Ted would occasionally make fun of Justin early on. That's something that could have been explored. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, because the only thing Ted ever really gives us is in the beginning when he's sort of mocks him for how young he is or, or right. something like that. That's all we get. So one scene uh, came up that um, also drove me crazy, but not quite to the point of rant. And that's uh, Brian and Justin's interaction in the loft 
at the end of the episode. Brian is uh, pretty much ignoring Justin, and Justin's doing his best awkward teenager. I guess he's not a teenager anymore. He's probably 20. To tell Brian how he feels. When I was in L.A. fucking around, it was fun and all. But when I came back here, and you said the offer still stands, and to put my stuff in the drawer, I was hoping it meant we were finally going to be a real couple. Like Michael and Ben. One day we might have the things they have. A house. Maybe even a family. How's this? Hot. The whole time I'm thinking, will these two just sit down and talk for once? They did it a couple episodes ago after Brian had fucked Justin's brains out and they were sitting naked on the edge of the bed. And that was as close as I'd seen them be vulnerable with each other, like emotionally. Mm -hmm. But it's just this tired old story of Brian's like way too Brian to get involved with Justin. There was a good moment where Justin paused talking and that got Brian's attention. And Brian's kind of staring at him like, wait, what's going on? What's happening here? But then it was just like back to, oh, this one's hot. I'm going to wear this one. Meanwhile, he's trying on the exact same shirt. That's the exact same black shirt over and over and over. But I did I did like Justin's speech about coming back from L.A., but sorry, Justin, you, you're the only person on the planet that thought that Brian would be any different than he's always been. There was just no way that meant that they were going to be like a real couple, like Michael and Ben, complete with kids, just because Brian said, put your shit in this drawer. Justin's the only one that like <laughs> didn't know that. <laughs> we knew I, that. This, Yeah, I thought this had been decided. This had been settled in terms of what their relationship was going to be. So, so just because Michael and Ben have made this thing a, like uh, a legally official situation in Canada we we have yeah we have to now have Justin do it I mean is this done just for some sort of extra drama because I, I'm having a hard time believing it the only thing uh, that I really like about Ben and Michael's like newfound domestic bliss is they really did a nice job on that house I like their house <laughs> oh I love I love the um I love the way they did their kitchen yeah I, I like really the stairs in the middle too yeah it nice all looks really nice. Now, what I want to know is from a comic book owner and a professor, where do they get all that fucking money? Does Ben have tenure? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, he, I feel like he only just became a professor again three episodes ago. So, and we know, I mean, it, was this all just from the the advance on the... Well, he does own his comic store too, so he has an income there, right? Was was do you, was it was there any sort of like advanced rage movie money that came in? Is that yeah? Was it remember it was like ten grand or something like total that they had to, split? to redo a house like that? Please, I like it though. I'd live there. I'd move in with him. I'd take Hunter's bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about the end credits that uh, I noticed, that, and I didn't remember this, but the closing song over the credits was "Cut Copies Going Nowhere," and it had like really good lyrics to match up with the story that was just told and that song uh, is still in regular rotation for me but I'm pretty sure I didn't pick it up from the show and I don't remember it being in the show but it it pretty much captured where I was in life in 2005 
when this episode mm-hmm. aired. So as soon as those credits started rolling, I was like, holy shit. Because <laughs> Cut Copy's a sort of an obscure Australian synth pop band. You would have to like know somebody that knows of them. You you don't just run into that band. But Michael Perlmutter uh, was a musical supervisor on this episode, so he would have picked that song in. I thought that was a great choice for this episode, at least for me anyway. So I like the way that that song wove together like where I was in 2005 with poor Justin not getting what he wanted from Brian. Loved it. It's not my top for the episode, but eh, close enough. Our second runner of the night is uh, Hunter. So I've got some problems with this story. I It, it was okay, but it was thin. Mm-hmm. Hunter starts lying. Where you been? I thought you were going to be home by six. I was practicing with my debating partner. <laughs> Whenever I used to tell my parents that, I was usually getting stoned. <laughs> When's the big event? Uh, tomorrow afternoon. It's in front of the whole school. What's the topic? Capital punishment. I'm all for it. I say fry the motherfuckers. Now you see why we're so proud. <laughs> and we see Hunter making things up. We know that something big is going to happen. These aren't bad clues, but giving his lies more teeth and making them more edgy might have been more interesting. We hear that he's been skipping school, but we never really find out what he does all day. Where where is he? Where does he go? Yeah, exactly. Because like we saw in the last episode when they found him hanging out with hustlers near Liberty Avenue when they were out. Are we supposed to think that that's what he does all day? Are we supposed to assume that that's what he's doing? Is he turning tricks again? Like what? Yeah, it would have been great us? if he was. Yeah, that think- would have been some good story, right? Yeah. Ben shows up at Hunter's school. Callie, it's Ben. Mr. Bruckner, I know, Hunter's dad. I came to watch him debate. Uh, which way is the auditorium? Uh, as you go in, it's on the right. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think there's a debate. They're, they've got a chorus practice. <laughs> Are you sure? Is Hunter okay? He hasn't been in school all week. Oh, he's fine. I... I... Guess I must have misunderstood him. <laughs> this is Callie's last appearance, by the way, and too bad because I love this character and I love Meredith Henderson's acting. This is like a perfect Degrassi character. She could have like yeah. this could have been like a crossover episode of oh. one of the Degrassi students. Can you imagine? So she ends up tipping off Ben that something's up with Hunter, and so I I did like that moment where all of a sudden we're thinking, oh. He really is, has been lying and he really isn't going to school. And then we're left kind of wondering like, huh, I wonder what he's doing. Right. And the world may never know. Michael shows his parenting skills. He's been lying to us? I'm sure there's a reason. I didn't say a good reason. But I thought he trusted us that, you know, he told us everything. Did you tell your mother everything when you were 17? I didn't have to. There were hidden monitors in every room. She had a homing device implanted in my brain soon after birth. It's the only explanation how she automatically knew. Here, here, here he comes. Now, let's try not to let our emotions run amok. Well, that's easy for you to say. You come from a long line of repressed alcoholics. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. I was in the bait club. This week's topic is... Secrets and lies. We know you haven't been in school all week. Michael said a line that I have no idea what it meant. He says that Ben comes from a long line of repressed alcoholics. What does that mean? And then do we know anything at all about Ben's family? No. So We know nothing of did Ben. They, did they just attribute some sort of history for for Ben without ever mentioning it before? It, it, it's, it's like Ben appeared one day 
and we don't know where he came from. <laughs> like Dr. David Cameron, we had a backstory on. We knew his past like two relationships. Mm-hmm. We knew his two homes and everything. It's like Ben just showed up one time. And we're like, where, where'd you come from? <laughs> Who'd you see? What'd you do? And I love how Michael has no subtlety at all when he's trying to parent and just blurts out that he knows that Hunter hasn't been at school. I, I like that straightforward approach. Being straightforward is better than Zen Ben's tiptoeing around like, hey, champ, how's it going? How'd your debate go? And like trying to triangulate him into admitting that he lied. I like Michael's approach where he's just like, dude, what the fuck? Oh, I hated it. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, he lacks any type of subtlety. You're dealing with a teenager. And when you're not on a similar path as your partner you don't present a united front, then yeah, it's going to feel like you're just attacking him. And that's the last thing. And that's the last thing that Ben is trying to have with Hunter is to feel like he doesn't have support and that he doesn't have someone that he can turn to. Like if he is struggling, let us hear him and and acknowledge that he can have these feelings, but let's figure out a constructive way of handling them. And instead of you're just like, you're lying and where the hell are you going? You're just like, belittling him then of course the hunter's gonna feel like he's rejected and he doesn't belong mm, yeah but not being around the bush has got a, a benefit to it though right michael is not the one michael is not the one i could trust that's true to, yeah to pull off that tactic successfully that's right <laughs> so uh, hunter hates school because of his classmates i can't go back to that school everybody just stares at me like i'm a piece of shit and when they do that's how i feel you're not a piece of shit you're a brave, smart, funny, wonderful person. And you're our son. And we love you. And you don't have to lie to us. We know what you're going through. You have no idea. It seems to me that he's the type of person that really wouldn't give a shit about that. He seems more of a scrapper than to just sit back and silently take it and run away from a fight. He seems like the type that would start to get into fights with the classmates. He would become antisocial. He's a street kid. Well, you saw that he now has a vulnerable side when he saw that Callie was with someone else. I would have liked him to so, take a swing at the guy or something like that or, you know, to see see him act out, I think is the, the way to say it. Teenagers acting out. And something else I noticed about Zen Ben is that I, I feel like he could be doing more to help Hunter through his problems. They seem to be just letting him slip away with only the most basic of efforts to help him. Remember that scene uh, many episodes ago when it was Michael and Ben in Hunter's room with Hunter right after all of his classmates found out that he was positive? They were helping him. They were part of it. They empathized. They listened. We kind of don't see that anymore. And so Hunter says this a few times that it seems like Michael and Ben have just sort of forgotten about him in lieu of the new shiny object. They just don't seem to be trying very hard to to keep him. I agree. Especially like when we saw at the dinner party, the way Michael held up JR, our new child. Like, wow. How about our second child? Or like, and yeah, they felt like there was no even, there wasn't even really an, an, an introduction to Hunter to anybody. Yeah, really, like, yeah that's no true. Effort, yeah. There was no effort to try and like integrate him into the party to say like, this is your home too. You know, like nothing. And so that's why he was just on the stairs. It was, it was amazing to me. So Hunter hits the road. Where are you going to go? I don't know. Do you have any money? What you and Michael gave me for my birthday. No plan, no money, perfect. How do you intend to support yourself? I'll think of something. I bet you will. If you need more, call us. 
fuck are you doing? Hunter, wait. Just put it in your shoe, someplace safe. This exit was just so fucking thin, though. It, it didn't do Hunter justice. I, I've come to really like the young man and his story. And you remember at first I was like, oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so much more that could have been done with Hunter instead of turning him straight. He has two gay parents. There's source material for the, like an entire show in itself here. Uh, but the writers just kind of ignored that and wrote him out of the show. And I think that was a, a real shame. I think this character added a good dimension to the Bruckner-Novotny family. Third runner of the night, Emmett, the queer guy. Yeah, Jesus Christ, let's talk about this. Okay. So this uh, ripoff of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy is just getting more and more ripped off. That was fabulous. See, you've even got me doing it. Sorry, Don. Sorry, since you've been on the air, the ratings have gone up two points. Now everybody wants the queer perspective. Channel 9 has even hired a tranny weather a person. The Channel 9 uh, tranny weather person line jumped right out of this episode in a way that I haven't been startled by a word before. I don't know what it was about this, and I'm generally not one to get riled up over words from old TV shows that predate modern sensibilities. But for some reason, the way that that news guy said that, it was like, oh. it The way it's that way he says it, that it feels like they've like, ooh, this is this is the new commodity we have. Like, this is the way they're going to try and beat us. It, it really objectified that person, that that that. Uh, Ugh, God, it was just so gross. I was so like I was the same way. Like like I'm having trouble trying to appropriately discuss it, other than holy hell, I wish the show back then had enough foresight for Emmett to be like, okay, yeah, we're not gonna say it like that. He didn't even do that when the guy um, called him a fag. It's like he right. just kind of let it roll right off of him. But that was useful for the story that Emmett is playing out here. It was just like really jarring to hear both of those two words used by a straight character to a gay character. So Brian calls out Emmett for being ungay while Emmett is doing his queer guy. Yeah, it's an honor to count among our close personal friends television's latest gay eunuch. Excuse me? You know, as in non-sexual non-threatening, ballless. You do homage to a long and illustrious line of lovable, laughable clowns who've come before you. Why, just look at all these people. They're my fans. They adore me. Because you're so cute. But do you think they'd still adore you if they knew you took it up the ass and liked it? Where did this come from? Why, why does Brian care enough to take time out of his day to show up at Emmett's meet and greet just to tear him down? Okay, so this is actually a very interesting moment, and I'll explain. So what Brian's point is, like, because he's talking about how th- he is, pre- how Emmett is presenting himself as like a sort of palatable gay, and that he's cute, that he has no sexuality to him, you know, that he's almost almost like a neutered kind of person. And 
a lot of the ways that he is acting, especially when we saw that first clip of him with that stay fabulous, you know, and it feels like he's very playing everything up. It reminds me of an old vaudeville character called the Nance. And the Nance was known for being very effeminate that always had a catchphrase and would always play up the double entendres, but it felt safe. And they weren't always just, they weren't necessarily saying that he was gay, but that was, he was playing a gay man, but playing all the different kinds of stereotypes up for humor, for laughs. And so I think that's why Brian has now gotten into Emmett's skin about it. Mm, Interesting. I didn't quite get (laughs) Brian's entire involvement in this. He just, he was just like there all of a sudden. Sure. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. He was, he was there and we don't really know why, but he did provide a very interesting point that I latched onto, which. Yeah. I thought the, uh, the only thing was like the flashback of Brian's hand being pushed off Emmett's shoulder. That was like Brandon's hand rejecting Brian. I thought that was the only reason why he was there. I mean, it was a nice little X-Files moment where (laughs) Brandon just sort of invaded the scene but i don't know just it's it's again one of those things where characters just pop up for reasons that are unclear at best so (laughs) emmett's underwear segment he actually gave great advice because i can't stand poorly thought out underwear on a guy listen up straight boys take a tip from the queer guy wearing these will not get you where you want to go comprenez-vous these However, will definitely generate a little friction. I know, because they happen to be my very own pair. (laughs) They set off your nice, tight assets and uh, notice the pouch in the crotch. (laughs) If you need a little help, you can stuff a sock or hamster in there. (laughs) I certainly don't need the cavalry to come to my rescue. My cup is filled to the rim. (laughs) I do want to point out that Emmett says that that's his pair that he was holding up, but he hasn't worn anything like that on camera since he is a porn star. So I just feel like it's a really opportunistic writing that falls into play with Emmett, especially because he's on TV and like nobody recognized him as a porn star. Right. No one wrote into the TV show. Yeah. Nobody remembered Fetch Dixon is now the queer guy. It's like somebody that would have known. Been great. That would have been an, an amazing moment. While he was, you remember when he, uh, it was an episode or two ago when he was in Babylon, and I was like, you're the queer guy. Or like, no one would have been like, oh my God, Fetch, we love you on TV now. Yeah, you're that big dick Fetch Dixon guy that used to shoot buckets all over the place. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nope. So uh, Emmett's producer uh, did have a point, because if you think about it, the whole um, queer eye uh, for the straight guy thing was always, as I recall, pretty asexual, uh, or at least it was like date-driven not like fuck driven. So I guess it tracked with the copy that they were making of a popular TV show on Bravo in the 2000s. That was definitely Emmett pushing the envelope for something that was on like network TV because network television, I'm talking about like the news show because network television has a lot more strict rules when it comes to what you can show. Now, granted, they're showing murders all the time. They're showing violence all the time. But if you show something that's any in any way sexual, that is the line. Well, that's it was on cable, though, right? It was on Bravo. Well, no, no. I'm talking. I'm talking about Emmett. Emmett's oh, news oh, yeah, yeah, show. yeah. Emmett's on yeah, broadcast yeah. TV. <laughs> right, he's on broadcast TV now. Yeah, although I think Bravo now has certainly pushed the envelope beyond what Queer Eye was doing. 
because because you're right. Like on Queer Eye, it always felt like these were these were the gays that you were safe to be around. Like they may be a little funny, but like I, I would say like the new Queer Eye definitely pushes it a lot more. Mm. Like I've they have a lot one. more. I think they have a lot more. Uh, double entendres and they play around a lot more but they also have i will say slightly better representation across the spectrum slightly <laughs> so let's talk about ted being a slut because uh, I, I like this, this i'm a one. fan yeah we uh we start uh the episode with a season one style babylon intro and apparently ted is now quite the horror you fucked him wednesday and the holatino thursday well ole teddy you are out of control Anybody here worth doing? Oh, sorry, Brian. Already done them. Uh, we were up to Friday. Oh, uh, there's Friday. Over there, the bossy bottom over there. I, I would like to think that that's because uh, he just has more confidence now and not really because he had fake plastic surgery and looks identical to what he used to look like. Uh, wh- where do you think uh, his successful whoring came from? Where did he find that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It was like it was like as if the surgery he really had just injected him with confidence. And that's why he's because he doesn't look different. I mean, I do like the the notion that he started out the show as the frumpy guy with wearing rumpled accountant clothes, could never get laid to being almost killed by a trick to becoming a meth addict and getting pounded in an orgy scene to having plastic surgery and finally being able to fuck everybody in sight. So I, I'm okay with that uh, evolution, but I just don't know why all of a sudden he has this confidence other than if it was because of his plastic surgery that we're just supposed to believe in. That's the hard thing. Like I w- if they had changed him in some way to where it was very obvious that that wasn't the same Ted. Right. Replaced him with a different actor. Right. <laughs> but here, yeah, like they should have done like the soap opera thing. Right. It's <laughs> coming with a new actor. Um, but I, 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 don't, I don't get it. And then, of course, you know, if you look in earlier episodes, we know that. Ted's like packing. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen the shadow play. Mm-hmm. So it's very strange. Did you pick up on the bottom shaming? Hmm. Remind me. So they're looking around and the gang is standing there with Ted. They're looking around and saying, oh, that was my Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday. He's a bottom. Yeah. You should hear him sing natural woman. Better than Aretha, I might add. You gotta gag him first, then fuck him. Was it bottom shaming? Yeah. They kind of portray him as being a femme bottom uh, as if all bottoms are that way it's like oh. he's singing natural woman and i don't know about you but i know a lot of bottoms that can tear the room apart that's true <laughs> right yes. in fact i yeah. think i know more that are very energetic and aggressive bottoms than are the bottoms that they were portraying this particular guy as because he was he's more muscular he was kind of hunky He's wearing a tank top, and then he's kind of portrayed off as this femme bottom. I thought that was a little weird. Yeah, no, no. I, I think that's 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 the show showing its age that certain guys have to fit certain types. True. As gay men, right? Yeah. Where you just look at him and say, "Oh, he's a bottom." Uh, so uh, look who's back, though. It's a uh, Ted's Pride pity fuck from two years ago. Believe that guy walked right by. Didn't even recognize me. <laughs> and I recognize him. Is he someone? He's someone, all right? Pride 2002. We had amazing sex. At least I thought so. Then the next day, I met Woody's. He told me once a year he finds some loser guy. Like you. And I give him a break. I give him, I give him me. The fuck of his life. You know, something he can remember. It's like a souvenir. 
in a way of giving back to the community. I'm digging this story. Ted's stare in the gym after seeing Troy for the first time made me think he was going to kill him. He was just looking at him like, I'm going to murder you. And right away, we know that Ted's out for revenge. And that's great. I'm liking this story a lot, even though it's it's more comedy than anything else. Uh, but it, it it's also a story about redemption and retribution. I'm shocked that, like, I mean, maybe this, I mean, this guy was pretty conceited when he first fucked Ted, but that he could not realize that that was the same Ted, even though when right. they do hook up, <laughs> he hooks up because like, I've been here before. I fucked some sad guy. I'm like, there's not much has changed. That is the <laughs> same guy. Though I will say, I loved that sex scene where Ted was really giving it to him. Oh, you did? I had a problem with it. Oh, no. Well, my, well, the, this, this is the thing that I love the most, is that when Ted was done, the way he threw the guy's legs over, <laughs> oh, that was actually kind of hot. <laughs> well, the problem that I had was, you've complained about the lack of realism with blowjobs, mm-hmm. and I think we need to comment about the lack of realism with the fucking that Ted was doing. The angle was just, like, really, really wrong, and then... I had another point of order about this sex scene is that after Ted comes back from the the bathroom, Troy says, look, I'm still hard. It's like, well, of course he is. You didn't get off. Ted didn't allow his bottom <laughs> to get off. Duh. And that's just rude. Yeah. Ted finishes up and then just like flaps his legs down and heads <laughs> to the bathroom, <laughs> which I guess is part of what he had in mind with this, with his revenge fuck. Right, he was gonna. He was like gonna tell him off in some way and leave him wanting, leave him blue balled. Yes, we get one of my favorite types of scenes here, though, which is we know something that the characters don't know. We know what Ted's generally up to here. Troy has no idea, so mm-hmm. we get to enjoy waiting for the other shoe to drop on Troy. And I love, love, love when the writers are able to actually pull that off. We've seen it before. In the show, I wish there was more of it, but it's great because poor Troy, he's like being led to the slaughter and he just doesn't know it yet. He he thinks that he just got fucked really well and that he's about to get fucked again. <laughs> you up for another round? Actually, there's something I want to say to you. That you want to roll me over and fuck me again? What I want to, what I want to say to, to you is uh, roll over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when, he's, when he says, turn over, the guy's like, yeah. Yeah, and then he's like wiggling his butt, and I was like, hmm, yeah. okay. They cast the same actor, too. I thought that was Which was nice. Good touch. Like, Thank goodness yeah. for continuity. Troy was still available, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great finish to this scene, uh, the way that uh, Ted's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you my secret just yet. <laughs> I want some more. Uh, and I'm glad that this story isn't wrapping up right away. I fully expected this to for Troy to get a uh, dressing down from Ted and then that to be the end of it. Nope. We get at least another appearance of Troy. At least one. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about tops and bottoms for this episode. What was your top, Matt? I had a couple. Brian getting rejected all over the place mm-hmm. by Brandon. Huge fan. Um, and something we didn't touch on, but you know, was was a very minor thing, was Deb returning to the diner. I, I like the fact that she's like, great. She, she's just back. Now Never that saw through. that coming. <laughs> right. Especially after we had like the, the two episodes with Rosie O'Donnell. And it's like, you know what? Let's just Sharon Glass just didn't just put it back on. Right. We'll just, we'll just put you back. <laughs> it was great. 
and she's back and, and nothing has changed and uh, it's great to see her or back in a place that we all love to see her at uh, my top was close to, to your first one which is brandon uh, though we still don't know his name uh, mm-hmm. the way he had no lines and just showed up and was hot and was turning down Brian was good writing and it was good stagecraft. And this was a really, really good play by the Queers Folk writing staff and Alex Chappell directing it. So that was my big top. Nice. What was your bottom? The trans depictions on this show. I was just, I, I couldn't stand it one the moment uh, with the newscaster with Emmett using that phrase and the waitress that was there before kiki. debbie decided to take over yeah kiki i was ugh. i couldn't stand it i just could not stand it i had two little bottoms um the first bottom i just wanted to point out is that uh melanie had told debbie that uh she has bfm bored out of your fucking mind which uh, by the way is b-o-y-f-m I was going to say, her, her, her anagram does not work. Yeah, but minor little thing there. So my real bottom was uh, Hunter. Uh, this mm. continues to irk me 15 years later. There was so much that could have been done with this kid and this character, I should say. <laughs> the, the writers should never have turned the character straight as a plot device for Ben and Michael. But once they did, they really had no choice but to write him out of the show. It's just such a waste of what was really a compelling character backed by an actor that could carry the role. But mm-hmm. off he goes. And and I get that this is season five. It's the final season and we got to tie up loose ends. But I just feel like Hunter in this particular episode could have had a better departure. Overall in the series, I think he needed better treatment. Mm-hmm. This has been episode six of season five. Bored out of your fucking mind. Next time on Still Queer Folk, Ben sinks into a depression after Hunter leaves home. Lindsay moves in with her parents. The community starts to protest against a law that would limit same-sex couples' rights. That's episode seven of season five, and it's called Hope Against Hope. And Matt, that's the halfway point of season five. Oh, man. We're almost done. Almost. Well, as always, if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you hear the show. And you can continue the conversations on Facebook at Still Queer as Folk or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Queer AF. Find me on Instagram at Patrick Randall if you'd like to connect with me personally. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Matthew PD. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Still Queer as Folk is a production of Slightly Unbalanced. Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight. New episodes every other week for season five. Still Queer Folk was made with love in Chicago. <laughs>